0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with students, postdocs, and other virologists so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On June 29th, 2022, we talked with Debar Pandar a graduate student in the College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State University. He received his bachelor's degree and his master's degree in microbiology from St. Xavier's College, University of Calcutta in India. He studies the replication of mammalian orthoreoviruses, specifically the incorporation of the segmenting genome into the virion and the role of the cellular cytoskeletal network.
1: So thanks for uh, talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Fakri for giving me an opportunity to be in this podcast. Um, so for those of you who are listening, my name is Debar Pandhar and I am a PhD student in the lab of Dr. Kathy Miller. And we are at the College of Wet Medicine at Iowa State University. So we work with mammalian orthoreoviruses in our lab. Um, When I'm not doing research, I love doing music. Uh, My Twitter bio literally says, um, I am a a virologist, musician, and a seeker. I feel those three words define me the best, to be honest. Uh, I love working with viruses. When I'm not working with viruses, I love making my own compositions in music and just doing music. I feel it's it's a huge stress buster for me. And uh, third word, seeker, I feel that also defines me uh, quite well because I'm always trying to uh, seek new opportunities, do and try out different things, which makes research particularly very interesting because there's always this opportunity to um, try something new and different. So, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit about myself.
1: OK, great. And can you tell us a little bit about when you first became interested in science and then virology? How did that happen for you?
2: Um <laughs> I actually do not have a really like textbook, I mean, motivational thing of how I got interested in virology. Um, if I think about it, my first real interest towards biology uh, started when I watched the Crocodile Hunters and the Snake Hunter show by Steve Irwin, Jeff Corbin. They were all my superheroes at that time. Like in grade four, I remember telling my grandmother that I want to be a herpetologist. And my grandma was like, "Oh my gosh, there's a bunch of snakes outside! Please don't say anything like that." <laughs> so, and that fizzled out pretty quick. Uh, I mean, as as I went through middle school, that that dream of becoming uh, a, a herpetologist died out pretty uh, pretty soon. So, I would say the real spark of um, of of doing biology was ignited in me by my high school biology teacher. I remember like really loving his class, all his lectures, and. I asked myself, okay, this is something that I really want to do as a career. So I finished my high school. Um, and uh, in India, once you finish your high school, you can apply for a medical school. So I got really good grades in biology, physics, and chemistry. So that uh, directly like uh, allowed me to apply for medical schools. But uh, I honestly did not see myself doing medicine. So I thought, I asked myself, hey, well, what part of biology do I like the most? So I was really intrigued with microbes, pathogens, the pathology side of medicine really intrigued me a lot. So I was like, okay, let me just try out microbiology. And so I did my undergraduate and master's in microbiology from St. Xavier's College, uh, Calcutta. It's affiliated to the University of Calcutta. Even though it was a degree in microbiology, I would say it was more like a degree in life sciences, to be honest, because we were taught a little bit of everything starting from plant biology, mycology, recombinant DNA technology, a mix of everything. So I feel that really shaped uh, me a lot into me taking up, um, I would say, microbiology as, uh, as, as a profession. How did I get interested in virology? I would say my love for virology did not start until I came to the United States to do my PhD. I came to the United States with a very open mind, to be honest, because uh, I did not have any prior experience of, of vital research. So I set up three rotations because we had to do um, three to four different rotations. So I set up three different rotations in totally three different sub One was looking into the gut microbiota, uh, complete bacteriology work. Uh, second was Dr. Kathy Miller's work, virology. And third, uh, it was still on the fly. I really wanted to work with funguses. So um I finished my first rotation. I came to Kathy's lab, and it just felt like a perfect fit for me. I loved the techniques that were done in a virology lab. The techniques were like so cool. So I remember the first time trying out uh, reverse genetics, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing! I can create viruses. This is the this is the this is the best experiment that I've done thus far. So I would say the spark for uh, for virology. Uh, did not start until I did rotation in Dr. Kathy Miller's lab. She is an excellent mentor and I had a really good work environment. And thus far I re- I, I am loving uh, w- my work in her lab, to be honest.
1: Great. Can you tell us then a little bit more about your lab? So like who's in it? What's the composition? What are sure. the questions that you guys are addressing? That kind of thing.
2: So um, in the Miller lab, uh, we worked with mammalian ulcerative viruses. Uh, if I think about it, we can divide our broad objectives into three different categories, to be honest. One is trying to understand the cellular processes that are altered during reovirus replication. So I know uh, Kathy, as well as our previous um, uh, PhD student, Luke, they worked extensively on stress granules, the disruption of stress granules by reovirus, and then HIF-1 down regulation by reovirus. So that would be one. Two would be boosting the anti-tumor potential of mammalian orthoreoviruses by designing recombinant viruses. Um, uh, so this is what uh, my colleague Nicole is currently studying right now. And the third objective is where my research fits in. I'm trying to understand the fundamentals of reovirus replication. And in that regard, um, I have basically divided that objective into two separate sub-objectives, to be honest, which for, which will form the basis of my thesis. Uh, my first sub-project, I'm trying to understand the role of the cellular cytoskeletal network in uh, virus replication and egress. It started off more like a side project, but now we have gotten some um, really cool uh, information in that regard. The second objective is what is gonna be m- the, the two main pillars of my thesis, to be honest. And we are trying to ask a really Cool question. So rheovirus, besides being an oncolytic and a therapeutic virus, is also a really fascinating virus from a basic biology standpoint. It has a segmented double-stranded RNA genome. And in this field, we still do not have a clear idea how does rheovirus package its genome segments and how does um, one copy of each rheoviral gene segment gets faithfully incorporated into the virion. So that's a really cool question which we are trying to ask, and um, based on prior research, there is some evidence to suggest that the terminal ends of the reoviral gene segments um, plays an important role in guiding this faithful incorporation. But still nobody has like shown what is the minimum amount of sequences that's necessary for this faithful packaging. And so this is what I'm currently trying to understand, this whole packaging process. Even though I'm using the word packaging, uh, packaging is also a really complicated process for segmented viruses because it is a a combination of three processes, to be honest. One would be your faithful sorting of the positive sense RNA segments. All the 10 RNA segments, they interact by RNA-RNA interaction. And then the proteins assemble or build around it. And third would be the replication of single-stranded RNA to the double-stranded RNA. And again, there is a lot of mystery associated even with that packaging process because we don't know what is the actual timeline or the actual schematics of events. It's still a massive dogma in this field. So these are some of the questions that we are trying to address in our lab or particularly through my research.
1: Great. And can you tell us a little bit like what are some of the techniques you use to address these questions?
2: Right. So um, so for Understanding the process of packaging, um, we, uh, me and Kathy, we have pretty much developed two novel assays in our lab. So one is, we call it the full wobble block replacement assay. So in which what we do is that we uh, essentially scramble the entire open reading frame and just keep the wild type uh, terminal ends. And then we look for the ability of those terminal ends to guide the incorporation of that given gene segment into the virus. And second would be the segment incorporation assay. We call it the segment incorporation assay, pardon me, uh, in which what we do is that to rule out the possibility of contribution of any of the internal regions towards this process of packaging, uh, we put in a completely different non-viral gene segment in between. So I've worked a lot with NanoLuke. So I'm going to cite the example of NanoLuke. So take, for example, we take NanoLuke and flank its ends with these putative uh, signal sequences and look for the ability of those signal sequences to direct the RNA-RNA interaction, and the faithful incorporation into the virus. Uh, But the core technique that forms the basis of these two approaches is reverse genetics. This is the experiment that I loved the most when I started my rotation, and I've done a lot of work with reverse genetics. So um, we do reverse genetics, we isolate recombinant viruses through plaque assays, sequencing, reverse transcription and PCR to check for the correctness of the viruses, and immunofluorescence assays, as well, we check for the localization of the proteins, Western blots to check whether these mutations that we are incorporating, whether they mess up protein translation or not, just to rule out that possibility. So a lot of Western blots, a lot of immunofluorescence. Yeah, so these would be the three major, major um, techniques that we work. And uh, in terms of the other side project that I was talking about, where we are looking into the role of the cellular cytoskeleton, I have done a lot of uh, proximity ligation assays, I've also done this really cool uh, technique of BioID uh, or biotinylation dependent um, uh, proximity assay in which we have shown that um, some of the components of the cellular cytoskeletal network are actually interacting with uh, riovirus non-structural proteins.
1: Cool, and then can you talk a little bit more generally about rioviruses? So this is, I think a virus family that I haven't talked to someone about on this podcast. So what are rioviruses? and like you were saying, they sort of have—they're in a more unique class of viruses because they're double-stranded. So, can you talk about those those facts a little bit more?
2: So, mammalian virus is actually a member of the Reoviridae family. Um, so, Reoviridae family—the classic characteristic of this Reoviridae family—is that they have a segmented double-stranded RNA genome and. Um, most of the members of the reoviridae family, they can infect a wide range of hosts. So some of them, um, there's the grass carp reovirus, which can infect fish. There's also a lot of plant uh, infecting reoviruses. Um, there's the, the, the rotavirus, which is actually notoriously famous for, for, for infecting um, infants and young children. And the place where I come from, it's a huge problem, the rotavirus infections, which is a cause of severe mortality. So mammalian orthoreovirus, um, unlike the other members in its family, it's actually clinically benign. Um, it can cause very mild cases of gastrointestinal and respiratory illness in infants and young children, or in, uh, or in the case of your immunocompromised patients, it can cause some illnesses. But in the case of your um, non-immunocompromised patients, it typically gets cleared off within a day or two. So it is a clinically benign virus, that's why it's kind of an attractive option when it comes to oncolytics.
1: Cool. And then like uh, in the research that you were talking about where you're talking about packaging, um, is there an understanding that there's actually um, interactions between the different segments themselves? So could there also be contributions from each individual segment and not just segment to protein interactions?
2: There, there is still a lot of speculation going on. There's still a lot of mystery, to be honest. But uh, in our opinion, we feel that the RNA, RNA interactions is, is what guides this specificity of packaging. Um, because, like I said, reovirus, the unique thing about Riovirus is that it's a fastidious virus. It needs all of its proteins, it needs all of its RNA in order to complete its life cycle. And there is faithful incorporation of one copy of each Rioviral gene segment into the virion. Um, you either get nothing or you get a complete set of everything. So you never get like half, like five segments or six segments. So that suggests to us at this point that these RNA, RNA signals is what guides this, this faithful packaging. And to these RNA segments is where the polymerase complex binds and the assembly starts building around this, 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 um, this sorted set of RNAs basically. So RNAs is what guides the specificity in my opinion.
1: Okay great and are you also looking at sort of is it just sort of the linear sequence of these motifs or are you actually looking at sort of the structure of the motifs?
2: That's such a cool question this is uh, I mean not to give spoilers out for my talk at ASV, but we have found some really cool information in that regard. I mean it was already kind of predicted that Rio virus has just like most of the other segmented viruses they have the ability to form this panhandle structure by interaction between the terminal ends so we have done some experiments in this regard where we have made specific mutations in some of our mapped putative packaging signals and we have seen that when you make specific mutations it actually disrupts our rescue efficiency of the, of, of of the virus so this all this suggests to us that there is this Um, panhandle structure that is, which I I, I would be defensive in this regard, which might play an important role in guiding this RNA-RNA interaction. So structure, in my opinion, it exposes those critical sequences that interacts with the other RNA segments. So structure, as of right now with my data, definitely seems to play a pretty important role in guiding the process of assortment.
1: Great. And to follow up on that, so are you going to be giving a talk or a poster at ASV to
2: describe this work? I'm going to be giving a talk. It's going to be an oral presentation. So it's going to be at the Rio and uh, Bornavirus session. So I think so my uh, talk number is number five in workshop number 29. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's actually my second in-person ASV conference. I remember I gave my first talk when I was in my first or second year And I've missed those in-person conferences so much. And I'm so much looking forward to this ASV 2022.
1: Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, So I guess since you're a little bit um, into your uh, PhD, what are your thoughts or your plans for the future? What do you see yourself doing? Do you have any ideas or?
2: Yep. So my, honestly, my mantra in life has always been to, has always been to be flexible. So I want to stay in academia for sure. That's one thing that I I really want to do my postdoc and stay in academia. And I'm flexible with the choice of the virus that I want to work with. But I want to work in the future with the uh, the egress or the transmission and the egress side of virology. And I want to work with a virus that uh, requires a more stringent containment. So I hate to say it, a more pathogenic virus. So that would be my goal, but I want to do a postdoc. And after that, my dream job would be to be a PI like.
1: Right, right. And are you interested? I mean, I assume a lot of your work is sort of molecular and tissue culture. Are you interested in in vivo work um, using model systems, that kind of thing?
2: So um, during my postdoc, uh, I want to learn something new as well. So i I'll, I hopefully I'll bring in my expertise of segmented viruses, molecular biology, molecular virology, a lot of reverse genetics, RNA biology. And this is something that I really want to learn model systems. And again, working with a more uh, pathogenic or a more stringent requirement, uh, stringent regulation requiring virus. Right. So I would learn to learn those few aspects during my postdoc.
1: Cool, cool. And then I guess just to finish up, what's it been like to do your PhD in the last two and a half years? How has the pandemic sort of affected you and your and your work? <laughs>
2: um, to be honest, professionally, the pandemic hasn't impacted me as much. Uh, those two, three months or uh, however long we were not supposed to go to the lab, I pretty much used that time to uh, write a seed grant with my mentor. I used that time to uh, figured out my prelims, so for my prelims, we had to um, propose a novel idea. It was a proposal-oriented prelims that I gave. So I used that time pretty wisely, and I just hunkered down and did my writing work. So professionally, honestly, it did not impact me as much. Personally, it did impact me quite a bit because uh, my family is still in India, and I feel that I've become more and more distant from my family because I haven't, be- because I haven't been able to visit India in the last three, three and a half years. So personally, it has impacted me quite a
1: bit. Can you describe a little bit how that was for you to sort of go through a pandemic here while your family's in another country?
2: Oh my gosh, it was, I'm, I, I was always stressed because uh, India had its phases as well, where there was these peak cases of COVID. So I was always worried for them. And just the, the inability to go and visit them and see them and be there whenever they need me is the harshest or, or it's the hardest part. And uh, I mean, video calling, it does its job to an extent, but just the physical presence is what matters the most, in my opinion. And I wasn't there uh, with my family. Uh, um, Thankfully, none of my family members got infected with COVID. Uh, So so that was really good. But I was always so stressed and I was always really worried. And that was also true for, for them as well. I mean, they were also really worried that what's going on. Um, whether I'm, I'm safe or not, whether I'm doing well or not. So this, this stress and tension is what impacted us a lot.
1: Right. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much. Um, We uh, look forward to seeing your talk um, at ASB and um, good luck in your uh, postdoc search.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for letting me um, talk with you in this podcast.
0: This has been let's meet the virologist podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackeray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and other podcast providers or at lmtv.podbeat.com.